hope to finish the book of Numbers this evening. But who's counting, right? <laughs> book of Numbers, who's counting? So, probably get that one on your way home tonight. So, All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for VBS. We thank you for what you're doing and pray that you would bless each kid, each volunteer, that you'd encourage their hearts. Lord, as we study your word tonight, we pray that we would enter into all that you have for us, that we would walk by faith. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses knows that he's about ready to pass away. God's made that clear to him. And these are his final instructions to this next generation that's going to enter into uh, the promised land. Where we begin tonight in chapter 31 is God speaks to Moses and it's time for the children of Israel to take revenge upon their enemies, the Midianites. So that's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 31. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall go be gathered to your people. So even though Moses knows that he's going to be gathered to the Lord, gathered to his people, there's still a battle to be fought. There's still a direction to be given to the children of Israel. And we know that we're heaven bound. We know that each day we're closer to being with the Lord. We're closer to Christ's soon return. But there's battles to be fought. Moses could have disengaged. He could have decided to not pass the torch to the next generation, but instead he's engaged. Why the Midianites? Why revenge upon the Midianites? You may remember that they hired Balaam to curse the children of Israel. Balaam was only allowed to give a blessing. But Balaam says if you send the Midianite women in, they won't be able to resist. They'll be seduced. They'll go into idolatry. That's exactly what took place. And so God speaks and says, now it's time for there to be revenge upon the Midianites. In verse three, so Moses spoke to the people saying, arm some of yourselves for war and let them go fight against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. The Midianites trying to destroy the children of Israel. A thousand for each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to war. So there was recruited from the divisions of Israel, 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. So 1,000 from each tribe, ready to go to battle, 12,000 in all. Then Moses sent them to war, 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. So there's this spiritual covering over this battle. Eliezer, the priest, or Phineas, the priest, Eliezer's son, is given the task to watch over things spiritually. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Rebah, the five kin kings of Midian. Balaam, the son of Peor, they also killed with the sword. So Balaam is killed. Here he is trying to take down the Israelites with his wicked counsel, and ultimately he's killed by the Israelites. And the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive. Note that. We'll come back to that in a moment. With the little ones and took as spoil all their cattle, 
all their flocks and all their goods. They also burned with fire all their cities where they dwelt and all their forts. And they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and the beast. So they had quite the spoil from these victories against the, the Midianites. They returned from war in verse 12. Then they brought the captives, the booty, the spoil to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the congregation of the children of Israel, to the camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses, Eleazar the priest, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands, and the captains over hundreds who had come from the battle. And Moses said to them, Have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague amongst the congregation of the Lord. Moses saying, What are you guys doing? Why did you bring back these women as captives? Don't you remember that it was these women that caused you to sin, got you in trouble with sexual sin, got you into idolatry, brought about this plague of, of Peor? How quickly they were to forget. Well, the answer is the men weren't thinking. They weren't thinking. They were being seduced. They were being led over by lust and how quickly they got off of uh, God's path. And so Moses addresses that, and it's time for them to then make it right in verse 17. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. So the males, the, even the young men, would become warriors, and the women would lead into to sexual sin. And so it was only the girls who had not known a man intimately that were to live. But to keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. And as for you, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person, whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. Purify every garment, everything made of leather, everything of woven goat's hair and everything made of wood. Then Eleazar the priest said to the men of war who had gone to battle, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron and tin and the lead, everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire and it shall be clean and it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all they cannot endure fire, you shall put through water, and you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean, and afterward you may come into the camp. This seems extremely brutal, doesn't it? That God would order this type of destruction on the Midianites. But remember, the Midianites were trying to destroy the Israelites. They're trying to, to completely wipe them out. And if Israel doesn't deal with them, their very existence is in jeopardy. And the Midianites were the ones that attacked the children of Israel first. This also for us is a spiritual picture of dealing with sin. When we're dealing with sin, we've got to be intense about it, in a sense of brutal about it, not, not half-hearted when it comes to dealing with sin in our own lives. As they took this spoil back to camp, it was to be purified, purified either through fire 
or by water, these precious metals being purified through fire, everything else purified with water. And our lives are purified with the washing of the water of the word. And also our lives are purified by fire. As we go through trial, our faith is being purified. If you're going through a trial and a difficulty tonight, God's purifying your faith. He's purifying my faith uh, unto the Lord. In verse 25, we see the division of the, the plunder, the spoil. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, count up the plunder that was taken of man and beast, you and Eleazar the priests and the chief fathers of the congregation and divide the plunder into two parts between those who took part in war, who went out to battle and all of the congregation and levy a tribute for the Lord on the men of war who went out to battle, one of every 500 of the persons, the cattle, the donkey, and the sheep. Take it from their half and give it to Eliezer the priest as a heave offering to the Lord. And from the children of Israel, half you shall take one of every 50 drawn from the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, the sheep, and from the livestock, and give them to the Levites who keep charge to the tabernacle. So Moses and Eliezer the priest did as the Lord commanded. So the spoil was given to those who went out in battle, but also to the congregation. So everybody benefited, not just those who were the ones that were out battling the 12,000, but the 12,000 did get an extra reward, one out of every 500, and then one out of every 50 was given unto the Lord as uh, an offering to be used in service to the tabernacle. So the rest of the chapter, in chapter 31, goes into the detail of the numbers of the spoil and what went uh, unto the Lord. We jump to chapter 32, uh, verse 1, and we see a request by the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad. Now, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer, the land of Gilead, and indeed the region was a place for livestock. The children of Gad, the children of Reuben, came and spoke to Moses and Eleazar the priests and said to the leaders of the congregation, saying, we've got a list of the leaders presenting in verse 3. In verse 4, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. We don't want to go into the promised land. They're close to the promised land, but we want to stay on this side of the Jordan. And the reason for that in their minds was, well, it's good for livestock. And we've got a large herd, so we're going to stay there. And that's the request that they're giving to Moses and they're giving unto the Lord. And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? So are you guys just gonna stay on this side of the Jordan while your brethren go fight for the promised land? Now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going out into the land which the Lord has given them? This shows we have the capacity to offer encouragement or discouragement. If they enter in by faith to what God has called them to, 
This is gonna encourage the rest of the children of Israel. But if they stay on this side of the Jordan that God hadn't given to them, that could discourage the hearts of the rest of the tribes of Israel. We get an example of this in verse eight. Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshkelah and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. When the spies went into the land, only Joshua and Caleb came back with a testimony of faith. The other spies came back with a testimony of unbelief and, and discouragement. And that discouragement spread. That discouragement passed to the rest of the children of Israel to where they didn't believe that God was able to bring them into the, the promised land. So we want to be careful. Are we passing on encouragement? Are we passing on faith in the Lord or our fear and uh, discouragement? In verse 10, So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of them who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kesnite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. The only two of their generation that wholly followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against them, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all that generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And that's what we've been studying in the book of Numbers. This generation of unbelief, wandering in the wilderness, still God's children, but not entering into God's promises, and they die in the wilderness. In verse 14, and look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all these people. Here's their response. Then they came near to him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go, before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place and our little ones who dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan beyond because our inheritance has fallen to us on this eastern side of the Jordan. So they're willing to go fight. They're willing to, to go help so that the rest of the children of Israel can inherit the promised land, but they still want to come back to the eastern side of the Jordan. How this applies to us is where we say, yeah, I want to help. You're taking a step of faith. I'm going to fight that battle with you, but I'm going to live where it's comfortable. I'm not going to live in a place that's going to require me to trust the Lord, to follow God's plan. What I find so interesting is then God's response to this request. And we see that through Moses in verse 20. Then Moses said to them, if you do this thing, if you arm yourself before the Lord for war, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. 
and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. God says yes. God says, if you want to do this, if you're willing to go and fight for the inheritance, you don't have to live in the promised land. You can live on the eastern side of the Jordan. And God does the same thing for us when it comes to his promises for our lives, his, the plan that he has for, for our lives. If we go, Lord, I, I really don't want this. Then the Lord says, okay, it's up to you. You don't have to live in my promises. You don't have to live in my plan for, for your life. Do you think that God had the best plan for Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh? Was it, was it God's heart for the 12 tribes to all be together inside of the promised land? Absolutely. And pretty quickly here, God gives them permission to not enter into that because they didn't want to. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that these good works were prepared beforehand that we should walk, walk in them. We're saved by God's grace, and part of that grace is God's given us his plan for our lives. But we don't have to walk in that plan. If we choose to, to not walk in that plan, God's not going to force us to walk in that plan. We, we don't have to serve him. We don't have to trust him. We don't have to, to walk by faith. But we're going to miss out on his best. We're going to miss out on what he intended for us. And don't you want to enter into all the good works that God has prepared for you beforehand? Because it's a joy. It's a joy to see God work. As we'll get into the book of Joshua, it's amazing to see the giants fall. It's amazing to see the walls of Jericho fall down. It's a privilege to, to be able to uh, serve the Lord. But we can easily settle. We can settle for where it's comfortable. We go, oh man, my, my livestock are going to do well here. It's going to be a good place for my pets right here. And this is going to be a good place for my kids, but I feel that the Lord is really calling me to this. In Moses calling them to go and fight, he states this truth in verse 23. But if you do not do so, then take note. You've sinned against the Lord. Be sure your sin will find you out. So you don't have to live in the promised land, but you do have to go fight for your brethren, the rest of the Israelites. And if you don't, then your sin will find you out. And this is the truth about sin, is that Jesus has forgiven us of our sin. He's paid the price so that our sin is removed from us. God in his love allows us to still receive the consequences of our sin. We are having the fruition of the seed that we've planted. Whatever we plant, we're going to reap. You're going to reap what, what you sow. And this is an important verse to put in our hearts. Be sure that your sin will, will find you out. You're going to pay the, the wages of sin. You're going to pay the fruition of, of sin. And oftentimes we think, well, I can avoid the consequence of sin. I can hide my sin. It's not affecting anyone else, but the reality of it is, is, is we will pay the price for our sin. Your sin will find you out. In verse 12, build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what is proceeded out of your mouth. 
And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses, saying, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all of our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. So Moses gave commandment concerning them to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, they shall have possession among you in the land of Canaan. Then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We will cross over, armed before the Lord, into the land of Canaan. But the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. So Moses gave to the children of Gad, the children of Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh, the king of Joseph, the kingdom of Shihon, the king of the Amorites, the king of Og, the king of Bashan, the land with its cities within its borders, the cities of the surrounding country. And then we see the specific cities for the rest of the chapter. As this progresses through the rest of the Old Testament, we get to the book of Joshua. They do conquer the land. The other nine and a half tribes enter into the promised land. Gad, Reuben, half the tribe of Manasseh return to the eastern side of the Jordan and right away they make an altar unto the Lord. And it was a true altar. It wasn't an altar of idolatry. But the other nine and a half tribes misassumed that they were serving false gods. And we, from the very beginning, see these 12 tribes starting to misunderstand each other and be divided in a way that I don't think would have happened if they would have all been together in the same region and weren't divided by the Jordan. Also, who were the first ones to be taken captive by the Syrians and the Assyrians? It was these two and a half tribes, Gab, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh. All along, God knew best. God knew best, I want you to be in this land. Maybe tonight there's something on your heart where you go, you know, what is God's best for, for my life? What are the promises that he's called me to? What's the life of faith that he has asked me to trust him in? And learn from these two and a half tribes. So chapter 33 is all of their journeys reviewed through the wilderness for a 40-year period. We're not going to read through that. If you'd like to read through that, all of the different places that they moved and camped to. Chapter 34 is really God's slideshow. When you go on vacation and you come back and you say, here's all of the places uh, that we went to. This is God's slideshows. He looks back of their 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness. For us, we have to understand that this was unnecessary this was not what God chose for them. God wanted to bring them into the promised land, but it was their unbelief that caused them to wander in the wilderness. So we jump to verse 50 of chapter 33. 
Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from the Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and demolish all of their high places, their places of idolatry. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. And you shall divide the land by a lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you shall give a larger inheritance, to the smaller you shall give a smaller inheritance. There everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them." When you go into the land, make sure that you dispossess all the inhabitants of the land. The reason that God spoke condemnation on the Canaanites is he gave them 400 years to repent of their wickedness. The whole time the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt was the time that Canaan had to repent. And they were a wicked society and ultimately God's bringing his judgment upon them and giving their land to the children of Israel. If they don't fully destroy them, then they're going to be irritants in their eyes. There's nothing really worse than an irritant in your eye. If you get a speck of dust in your eye, you get a sliver uh, in your eye. If you get a sty, aren't those kind of nasty and no fun? You're just walking around with this gnarly, painful, hurting eye. And that's what these inhabitants would be to, to the children of Israel. Or a thorn. Up until recently, we had this bush in our yard, and we took it out this summer, but it has these big thorns, and there's something about those particular thorns, when they get into your feet, that are very difficult to get out, and a tweezer just doesn't, doesn't quite, quite do it, and painful, right? If you ever had one of those types of thorns, you're like, oh, so irritating, once again, this is a picture to us of, of the flesh. How much of your anger do you really got to deal with? Oh, 80%. I'll just let 20% remain. Because sometimes my anger is useful to me, <laughs> right? So I'm just going to kind of keep that in, in my back pocket. Well, no, it, it's going to be an irritant to our eyes. It's going to be like a thorn in our foot. God wants us to, to deal with sin completely. How much covetousness should we leave in our life? Oh, I'll leave 10%. No, allow the Lord to bring about a complete victory. The power of sin has been broken at the cross. In verse 30, chapter 34, we see the boundaries of the promised land. It's laid out for us. You can read through it. What's interesting about the boundaries going from verse 1 through verse 15 is the children of Israel never conquered all of this land. They never entered into all that God had for them. So it makes me wonder, what in my life am I not entering into that God has provided? All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. What does he desire to do in my life? 
What does he desire to do in my family? What does he desire to, to do it in this church? But because of unbelief, I'm not pressing into to what God has. We mention this from time to time, but there's no ceiling in our relationship with the Lord. There's always more to know about him. There's always more ways that God could and would use our lives. So let's press into all that the Lord has for us. All that's there with the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Enter into to his promised land. From verse 16 to verse 29 of chapter 34 is the leaders that are appointed to divide the land. Of the different tribes, there's leaders that were given. We see the importance of, of leadership. In chapter 35 is the city for the Levites throughout the promised land. There would be cities for the Levites. The Levites were not given a specific portion of the promised land. God was their inheritance and they were to be sprinkled throughout the promised land. This teaches us a couple things. One is, is that God wants worship to be central he wants worship to be throughout our lives. And so God puts the Levites throughout the nation of Israel, throughout the, the promised land. Also, as we're committed to Jesus and wanting to follow him, we're a royal priesthood and God's gonna scatter us. He wants his gospel influence all throughout the city. So we're gonna live in different parts of the city. We're gonna work in different parts of the city. We're going to be called to different things, different workplaces, different neighborhoods, all so that God can have his priests throughout doing his work. God's got his people everywhere, spread out, just like he spread out the Levites as well. In verse 9 through verse 34 is the cities of refuge. We've seen mention of these as well prior in our study in the Old Testament, the cities of refuge, if you look at verse 11, it says, verse 10 and 11, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you cross through the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslaughter, manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. And there was six cities that were Identified. So if you killed someone accidentally, then you could go to one of these cities of refuge. Because this is a shame and honor culture where if someone killed someone in your family, even if it was on accident, many times they would go and, and kill that person. So if you murdered someone, the text goes on to say you couldn't flee to these cities for, for refuge. So God makes a provision for that accidental death, and they had to live in those cities of refuge. Chapter 36, that ends the book of, of Numbers, is the instruction that were given to women in terms of their inheritance. If their husbands has passed away, that their inheritance, or they were never married, that their inheritance that was to pass down through their tribe would remain with them. When we come to the last verse of the book of Numbers, these are the commandments, the judgments which the Lord commanded the children of Israel by the hand of Moses in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan across from the Jericho. Deuteronomy 
picks up where numbers left off. This is where we'll start our study next week, where it's the specific teachings of Moses to this next generation to prepare them to go in the promised land under Joshua's leadership. So what do we learn from the book of Numbers? What do we, what do we take away? Well, counting's really important, apparently. <laughs> there, there's two censuses in the book of Numbers. We, we do get an understanding of, of just how massive the children of Israel were as they traveled through the wilderness. But the real lesson of the book of Numbers is it chronicles for us a life of God's people, a generation of God's people that didn't walk in faith. They didn't walk in faith. They were God's children. They knew the Lord. They weren't unbelievers. They were never abandoned by the Lord. But their existence was one of wandering. It was one of wilderness experience. We're told in the New Testament that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I think a lot of times in our relationship with the Lord, we, we tend to drift back to a works-based relationship with the Lord. We think if we're doing good works that God's pleased. But God says without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. I know it's simple, but are we trusting the Lord tonight? Are you trusting him? for the difficulties that you're facing in your life, for the blessings that you're experiencing, for, for the promises of God. It's one thing to, to know God's promises. It's another thing to believe them. I, I believe this. I, I trust this. This is God's word. No matter what my emotions are telling me, I'm anchoring myself in God's word. As Jesus is our good shepherd and he leads us and guides us and directs us and calls us to different things, to walk in faith that's exhibited by obedience. Okay, Lord, I know you've called me to this. So I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do my best to obey you in this manner. It may be an area of giving. Okay, Lord, I'm gonna do it. It may be an area of outreach to an unbeliever. Okay, I'm gonna make the time to invest in this person's life. It may be in an area of service. Some of you are doing that this week and taking that step of faith to volunteer at, at VBS, but walking in God's call for, for your life. But unbelief can really creep into our lives. How did Satan come against Eve? Has God really said, trying to get her to doubt the word of God? Is God really able to deal with the giants in your life? Is he really able to defeat the walls of Jericho? And seeing those difficulties through the eyes of faith instead of our own ability. Those spies that came in, they were looking at things in their own ability. We're like grasshoppers comparing themselves to the difficulties. But Joshua and Caleb were like, this is nothing for the Lord. So it teaches us, it instructs us to, to walk in faith, to trust the Lord, to trust him with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him and he'll make our paths straight.